This is episode number 375 with the certified health nut, Troy Casey. The Melissa Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Leading longevity authority, Troy Casey, also known as the Certified Health Nut, is a world-renowned life coach and healer who has scoured the earth searching for the most powerful health and healing methods. He devoted his life to restoring the planet from a young age. He spent over eight years living and working with the indigenous tribes in the Amazon rainforest as not only a healer, but also as a medicine hunter, utilizing some of the world's most sacred plants. He has also studied Vipassana meditation, Ashtanga yoga, and more recently at the world-famous Czech Institute, working closely with Paul Czech. He has lectured and taught throughout the world, appearing on numerous TV shows, news programs, international documentaries, and in many books around the world. This is due to his ability to successfully restore health, mental, and emotional balance to his clients who have failed with all other systems. His vision for clean air, water, and soil for all of mankind in his lifetime drives his passionate work for personal and planetary wellness. By watching, listening, and following Troy's methods, you'll be able to truly dominate all of your goals at the highest level. Sounds pretty awesome to me. Now, in this episode, we chat about his incredibly challenging upbringing and how he became homeless at 14, how Troy went from prison to modeling, and if you ever think that your dreams aren't possible, you're going to love this, the three powerful tools that triggered his three spiritual awakenings, the number one step you must take first if you want to face an addiction and turn your life around, how our own comfort is distracting us from seeing how we are destroying ourselves, our society, and our planet, the unexpected benefits of drinking your own urine. Yes, you heard me right. This is fascinating. You guys are going to love his take on this. Why you should consider home birthing if possible and the important things to be aware of if you end up in hospital the fastest way to improve your relationship with yourself and your partner, plus so much more. And for everything that Troy and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 375. And now let's get this party started. Let's bring on the certified health nut, Troy Casey. Troy, I am so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Breakfast this morning when I broke my fast, uh, T-bone steak and bison liver heart kind of mixture. It was ground and uh, we made it into a nice burger. And then I had some kimchi and some probiotic like hot sauce. It's really nice. Wow, I've never heard of probiotic hot sauce, but that sounds very interesting. Yeah, think kimchi, but thicker. Or a sauce that's thicker, (laughs) like kimchi. 
Right. I'm going to look into it. Now, my husband first discovered you on a podcast that he was listening to. And then he reached out to you on Instagram and you guys connected and he told me all about you and how much of an epic human you were. And he devoured your book in like a couple of days. And he showed me a video of you, which blew my mind. And we'll get into some of the things that you were doing in this video. But first, I want you to take us back to when you were a teenager and when your mom and your stepdad basically left you on the streets. Tell us about your childhood. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, it's easy. I, you know, I remember waking up in the world in Haight-Ashbury as a little hippie kid. I would have been four or five or so, maybe three, four or five, something like that. And walking the streets by myself. I remember going up, there's a, still a McDonald's on the corner and there's a bowling alley behind it. And I remember going up there as a kid. I remember going into the panhandle. So that was San Francisco in the 60s. And then we grew up on a lake in Connecticut and out in nature. And it was great. And then uh, my dad, my stepfather, he got into a little bit of trouble with the law there. And we were growing up as teenagers and getting into a lot of trouble. Like we were pretty much hell on wheels, at least my brother. My brother got into a fight with this kid on the lake and uh, they were like best friends, but they were drinking grain alcohol. Do you know what that is? No. It's pure alcohol. Yeah. It's like a hundred proof or something like that. How old were they? 15. Wow. And so, you know. One ego got hurt by the other and it escalated. My brother pulled a knife on him. It was the weirdest thing. And then the kid was like, stab me at the top of his lungs. And like the neighborhood kind of, we, this was in the country too, but the neighborhood kind of like, it was a big stink. And then my dad came home and he was like, uh -uh. you kids, just pack your bags. I'm going to go send you with, with your real father. And we hadn't had a relationship with my real father in years and years and years. And so he drove us across the state to, uh, actually, he couldn't get a hold of my real father. So we drove him to my aunt's house, my grandparents, my aunts, that side of the family. And I hadn't seen them in years either. We stayed with them for a little while. We found out my dad was living with this kind of guru kind of guy. And he'd given up a lot of his power. He gave up a lot of his wealth. I didn't know much, but it was kind of weird with the family discussion. Like, that's probably not the place you want to hang out with. And we ended up at his place. At the time, it was a mansion in Litchfield, Connecticut. And there were, I think, 40 people living there at the time. My father was there. And we came home and we were just kids, you know, getting in trouble, whatever. And we're like, well, we don't want to live here. <laughs> you know, we're going to want to get like, an apartment with you and go back to school. We're kids, you know? Anyways, he told the leader of the commune the story and that guy had a pretty big ego. That was pretty funny. He came up and started yelling. He's like, get your kids out of here before they got to deal with a bloody nose. And, and then anyways, next thing you know, my dad threw me in, in, in the van and drove us across the state. And, uh, we lived in the country again, so I, I was like taking back roads. And after a while, my dad got frustrated, dropped my brother off. And then I was like, take a right here, take a left here, take a right there. And uh, 
my dad opened up the door and he said, get out. And there was all my shit. And I, I thought he'd at least drop me off at my friend's house. It was only about a half mile away. And, uh, but we didn't make it to that point. And I definitely think that broke my heart on multiple levels. That was pretty painful walking down the street. You know, this is 19, what is it, 1980, 81? How old were you? I was 14. Wow. And I had all my belongings and they were stuffed in pillowcases. And this is back when you collected record albums. So I had my Kiss double live, you know, soundtrack and I had all my Grease albums and just whatever I was into. And I had all these albums. I remember my veins popping out of my arms, just carrying all my belongings down the street. So it's good that I can laugh at it and look at it lightheartedly because it was definitely a very painful time in my life. And it came back to me multiple times in my life. Yeah, thanks for the walk down memory lane. I wasn't expecting that question. Are you a child abuse podcast? No, no, not at all. It's all shapes how you get to where you are today, which I want to dive into because you have an extraordinary story and the work that you do now. I want to put the pieces together. Like then what happened after that? Like how did you get on this healing path? How did this, you know, from being homeless at 14, how did you get to where you are today? And how did you heal from that heartbreak and from that trauma? Well, I mean, from 14 to my healing stage, which was probably about 33, that's a, that's a pretty big jump. But, you know, I, got, I was incarcerated as a youth as well. I got put away as a youth and that helped me wake up, helped me really understand my freedom and value that and keep my nose clean as much as possible. You know, I work with psychedelics in the Amazon. I take people down there to do ayahuasca with the shamans in the jungle where it's legal. And there's plenty of people in North America using ayahuasca and, and other psychedelics. But because I've had an experience with the feds in my family, and because I've, ha I've been incarcerated, I just like to keep my nose clean, whatever's legal. And I respect anyone who's working with medicines in a sacred way in North America or all over the world. It's just that it's, it's not currently legal here. So I don't take that on, especially I'm living in Sedona, Arizona, a very spiritual place. People are very sensitive of what other people are doing. Six people died in a sweat lodge 10 years ago with James Ray, a famous like Tony Robbins type teacher. And so people are sensitive here. And I'm like, yeah, I advocate medicine. People can go down to the jungle. I can make some recommendations, but I keep my nose clean. So I learned that back then. And I do that best to do that now because I'm already a target because I talk about vaccine injuries. I talk about chemicals in the food and the politics that surround that and the oil wars that keep you know our fossil fuels in, in place. And so I'm already a target for shadow banning and censorship. And you know who, who knows with doxing and all sorts of other stuff, you know, there's like, but I've also seen a vision. I'm like crazy horse. I, I saw a vision. I go through battle unscathed. And so I'm here to change. I'm not afraid of anything right now, putting myself out there. I do watch it enough and play with the algorithms because remember the AI is a machine <laughs> and it has no soul. So you can play it just as much as you think it's going to play you. And so that's the way I like to play it. I like to keep my nose you know, pretty clean with everything that I do, especially legally here inside the United States. So then I went through my schooling year. I put myself through college. I finished high school. 
put myself through college. After I got out of juvenile hall, they let me out when I was 18 years old and I graduated high school right after that. And then, uh, it wasn't until I got in the modeling industry and whatever anxiety was in me from your childhood, you know, they say your nervous system, these are all, you know, the greatest challenges in your life, I believe, uh, open up your greatest gifts, right? They're the keys to open up those gifts. And so I got into the modeling industry. I was chasing paper just like anybody else. I was just trying to make money. I didn't know who I was. I didn't have any kind of training on what I love to do or what my purpose or dream was. So I just went through a bunch of college, mathematics and science. That didn't really go anywhere. And then I, I quit that to move to Milan and start modeling career. And I was pretty... I was like, okay, I'm making money now. And then how do you make money? And then the games, the psychological and the sexual innuendo games with all the homosexuals, it was a very challenging place for me to navigate because I'm a very straight shooter. I spent a lot of time on the street. You know, your, your word is your bond. And if you start like saying things that are off, somebody's going to pull your card. So that, that's, that's just the credo that I live by. So the modeling industry got on my nerves. I, I don't kiss ass and I don't suck dick. And so that only gets you so far in that type of industry. So anyhow, I did really good in that industry, but the games, the mental gymnastics just drove me up a wall. And I'd work you know, a handful of times a year and I'd make a living, right? And the rest of the time was searching for work and partying and drugs were free. So I started to get into a lot of uh, partying. When I moved to Miami, that's when I partying got really off the deep end. I did four Versace campaigns and I was living kind of a rock star life. I just, I got too deep into that and it took me a lot to sober up. And I realized it was a lot of anxiety from things I had in the past and the, and the alcohol just calmed my nervous system. So finally I sobered up and Vipassana meditation is what set me in my spiritual path first. That was my first awakening. And since then, I sat 11 Vipassana courses. I sat six years, pretty much two hours a day, pretty religiously. What age was that when you did your first Vipassana? I want to say it was 1999. I want to say I was 33, something like that. Yeah, 99, somewhere right around 33. I had a big shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then what happened after that? So soon after that, you know, LA is the city of angels. So as much darkness is there, you know, there's light cast shadows all the time. And so I found healing in Los Angeles. So I moved to Los Angeles, started an acting career. I knew, I knew I couldn't do that as a party animal. And so I mustered up the fortitude to find a different path and meditation found me. And that really helped and solidified me and helped me sober up. And soon after that, I was in the healing community in Los Angeles, and I was at this psychic meeting. This one psychic came, and famous psychic or whatever. I'd never been to anything like that, and I thought that was pretty funny. And I'm over there in my head, right? He's giving everyone like a mini reading, and then he was going to give like a group reading. And I go in my head, you know, I go, oh, who's this guy? Who's this guy think he is, Right. And I start playing games with him in, in my head. And I swear to God, psychically, he turned around to me and he goes, I'll be with you in a second. <laughs> I was like, oh. And then what he did is he turned around and he goes, you and her have something to share. And at the time, I was sitting a lot of Vipassana. And so I'm thinking, ooh, I can help this girl out. 
I know just what she needs. So I told her my thing, and then she starts telling me about these Maori healers that use sticks and stones, and they're known as the bone crushers, and they step on you, and it's powerful. And I was like, really? Sign me up. I'll let you know when they come back into town, she says. One of the other gentlemen at this psychic convergence evening, he called me when the Maori came into town, and I saw them. And the first time they stepped on the back of my calves, I was in a full body sweat in a split second. I couldn't even scream fast enough. My nervous system couldn't get it out. It was just, it was ungodly the level of intensity on your nerve centers, on the back of your calves, where they say you store all your your mother and your father's, you know, stuff. And I was like, "Ah!" I like, I like shit the bed, like in an instant. And I was like, holy smokes. And they flipped me over here and they flipped me over there and they stepped on the inside of my, my thighs. And then, and then the, the, they had my arms pulled up, my head penned down. And then the, the lady, she's 300 pounds. She stepped on my skull and then she bounced on it. I was like, what? I was like, you're kidding me. And something just like went bam. And they say that the psychic energy, it gets trapped on the back of the skull and they know the body really well. I think there's 36 bones in the skull and the way she positioned her foot and her arch right around my ear, like got my ear out. So she wasn't like, they know the body, they're magicians. She got right up there. She put it and and this woman was 300 pounds and she bounced and I with my arms pegged behind my head. So boom, spiritual awakening number two. And I was like, holy smokes. And I've been hanging out with those guys for 25 years. And I've seen exorcisms and miracles and had years and years of miracles myself with them. I parked cars in the rain for them for years. I was like, Maori, I'll help. No problem. I'll help. You need help? You guys are in town for two weeks. You want some promotion? Now I do as much promotion for them as I can. Anyhow, so that's spiritual awakening number two. And then concurrently, right around that same time, somebody turned me on to an herbal company from the Amazon. And I took these plants into my body and had a huge awakening, visceral Kundalini awakening. And then a year later, I went and drank ayahuasca with the Shapipos, the business partners that we were working with down there and researched the plants. And that was pretty much it. I had three very profound visions. One was of my amalgamation of my on-camera career, my stand-up comedy I was doing at the time, and my natural medicine studies, which I started since I started modeling. So 30, 31 years now. But the amalgamation of that came to me and Certified Health Nut was born right in the middle of the Amazon. The second vision was the spirit of my daughter came to me and I wasn't married. I wasn't in a relationship at all. And my family's been unfolding ever since. Certified Health Nut's been unfolding ever since. And the third vision that I've seen is that humanity makes it from the precipice of ecological disaster and sheer stupidity with oil wars and, and bombing each other for natural resources. That pretty much brings it up to the big awakenings for me. Whoa. There's so much I want to dissect and go into here. I feel like we need five hours together. So I want to talk a little bit about addiction because you spoke about alcohol and drugs and today, whether it's a social media addiction or, you know, relationship. Pornography. Pornography, exactly. A lot of people are addicted. Caffeine. 
Yeah, caffeine, sugar, everything. There's so many things. Anger, anger, fighting. Exactly. Video games. How do I know? Because I got that in me. Mm-hmm. So I want to know your advice, what you did and what advice you give to people now who may be struggling with some form of addiction and how you moved through it. Well, the place to start is exactly where you're at. You get in front of the mirror. Who am I? Who do I want to be? Very simple. And then dig deep. What does the heart desire? What did you like to do as a kid? Do you like art? Do you like to sing? Do you like to paint? Do you like to grow food? Do you like to make food? What is it if time and money was, wasn't an issue? This is the first chapter of my book. Figure, figure out your dream, your heart's desire, and let that lead you into your legacy, your purpose. Find your purpose. You know, I'm living here in Sedona right now, and we're working. I mean, as long as I'm awake, I'm doing something. Even if I'm laying low, I'm, I'm still posting on social media. And so I love what I do. So it's not work. So I can work 24-7 or at least when I'm awake. I have to watch my own burnout because I'm a health guy and I'm yang. So I need as much yin as I can. Hence why I took a hypnosis brain tap before, before, before I came and saw you. Just a little nap. But yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something, yeah, so many people are struggling with and it's getting clear on what it is that you desire and following through with that. Well, that's the first place that you want to start. And then when you have a dream big enough, you don't need a crisis. And then if you do have addictive tendencies or patterns, figure out psychologically, you know, what's there to uncover? What is it in your shadow that you don't like? What is it in your childhood that you don't like? What is it you don't like about yourself? Because that's what we end up self-medicating. We don't think we're worthy. We don't think we're valuable. And a big part of that is because we don't have a rites of passage in our society for men to grow into men. So we have all these adolescent human beings going out there and we have all sorts of financial instruments and toys that we can go in and ruin the world with. And we, don't, we haven't grown up. We haven't matured. We haven't faced death and know that we can make it through. So a lot of the work that I'm doing now with men is giving them somewhat of a rites of passage. I don't want to... People are basically beating themselves up. So I'm not here to boot camp and beat them up more. Really to tune them up and get them feeling better. But also take them into death-defying cold, death-defying hot, through powerful experiences that are going to put them back in their body, out of their head, and into their sick body. Not everybody. A lot of fit guys come to my events as well. But when I work with the business community, a lot of guys are completely out of touch with their body. Remember, a healthy body is a sensitive body. An overweight body is a stressed body. And if you can't feel your body, that makes sense that you don't realize that you're in pain. And have these addictions, possibly. Right. And then you self-medicate. I mean, I have a lot to say about addiction. I mean, we, we can talk on quite a few different angles. But I think addiction is the normal expression from a disconnected, confused human trying to stick their square peg in a round hole. And if that doesn't work out and you can't monetize like Andy Warhol or Banksy, then your little artistry or idea, if you're not Kanye West and you end up self-medicating pills. I mean, you can go to a doctor, you can get antidepressants. You can be addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. It's not just illicit drugs anymore. 
Mother's Little Helper started out in the 60s, you know, Valium. And so this kind of kills the pain, kills the nervous system, kills the anxiety to a certain extent, but eventually you build tolerance to it and, and then you have a reaction to it, hangover, or you have to detox off of it. And so, but this is the self-medication tools that we have that are socially available. Now, I've been into fitness many years and usually a good fitness program manufactures your own serotonin and dopamine so you don't need external drugs. You also add to the stress that we're dealing with the unfettered wanton abandon use of caffeine and it's socially acceptable but obviously too much of it too much non-organics got pesticide and herbicide residue it's not good for the environment it's not good for your, your adrenals you know all these things need to be put in check you pull the minerals out of the soil you're not going to have the balance to build the serotonin, the dopamine, the neurotransmitters, the chemicals, the blood flow, everything to feel good. And what happened to the, the, the food supply? They say the best organic is still only about 30% of what real food is like. And so this all plays into the mental balance. Then Jay Krishnamurti said, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a sick society. So we're trashing the planet, shitting in the waterways, shitting in the food, putting chemicals everywhere, scientifically validating, and then, you know, giving you a car that you can't afford, a house you can't afford, and the money keeps being exchanged by the mortgage crash, banking, blah, blah, blah. They shift the economy. People are stressed out. They don't know who they are. They're chasing their tail. They're driving that car in traffic to a job they hate, to a job that's antithetical to life itself. For example, living in Los Angeles, you've got Northrop Grumman. You've got Raytheon. You've got all these weapons manufacturing facilities, intercontinental ballistic missiles. Some people work for those corporations, even as an accountant. They might not be designing these death machines, but they're still working for them. And at the soul level, they know there's a problem and they don't listen to that. And so eventually, if that, if that pain gets too loud and you can't balance it out with exercise and nature and all these other natural principles, then we'll go for the easy thing. Liquor stores right on the corner. Commercial cigarettes have over 400 addictive chemicals in them. Junk food, as you said before, sugar, aspartame, the, the diet. Oh, you're fat? Well, go sugar-free and take aspartame. It's going to make you fat more. It's going to mess with your brain. So everywhere you look is this sickness. And there's no victim on this planet. So I'm always coming from Victor. So this is spiritual fodder for our own awakening. We have basically almost tried to kill ourselves environmentally, with food, with the way we're treating the water, the soil. and so. Of course, at the soul level of a human being, people are out of touch right now. So, of course, checking out on dopamine-rich Instagram or Pornhub or any kind of digital addiction, you know, because you're getting those dopamine hits. They hire the best psychologists from Vegas that do all the slot machines to get you to keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. It's your attention. That is the new commodity is your attention. And I believe we're moving into the age of authenticity, which is, you know, I just teach people to be themselves at the nth degree. No apologies. I love that. 
you're so committed to helping people awaken. You're so committed to helping people improve their health, not just their physical health, but their mental health and their emotional health. And this is one of the things that really drew me to you is you are very authentic yourself. You're very unapologetic about who you are and you're very committed to helping raise the consciousness of humanity. And one video, this YouTube video that I came across of yours that my husband showed me, you were going through almost like a day in your life and some of the healing modalities that you do on a daily basis, which were awesome. Like I was like, I just want to come and hang out with you for a day. But one of them that I really want to talk about is this concept of drinking your own urine. And you had fermented your own urine over a couple of years. You were putting it on your skin and you were drinking it. Please tell me the science behind this. What is the reasoning? And tell me some of the benefits that you have felt. And how long have you been drinking your own urine for? Okay, let me try and answer the first question last. And just so you know, my husband did try this after watching the video. So you inspired him that much. He tried it. Well, you guys both look like clean living people, so I'm sure I'm sure it's fine, you know? Look, I don't advocate this for everyone because it's such a foreign concept, but if people ask me about it, I'll talk about it all day long. I've been drinking my urine since 2000. Last time, first time I remember, I think it was 2005. So let's say at least from there, so almost 15 years, is that right? But about four or five years ago, a friend of mine that taught me breath work, he taught me some breath work techniques, he also talked about how he cured himself of testicular cancer. And I'd been drinking my urine for a while, but he challenged me to a seven-day urine fast. And he educated me on what he thought aged urine could do. And I wasn't educated on that at all. He talked about aged urine enemas. I tried that. It really cleared my gut up. And so, yeah, I've been drinking it for 15 years. I've been putting it on my face for at least four. I don't do it every day. It's a pretty esoteric practice, even for me. It smells like ammonia, but I drink it every morning. I drink it every morning. It's the hair of the dog tells my body what's going on with it. The science, I'm not Mr. Science guy, although sometimes I can regurgitate some, but this is the way I like to put Shivambu, urine therapy. The panacea doesn't exist. The silver bullet doesn't exist, even though the pharmaceutical companies are always trying to this for that, right? So the panacea doesn't exist, but if it did, it makes sense that it would come right from you. And so sure enough, the way I explain it, the science behind it, because I got the real science because I've been doing it right on myself. So the science behind it is it, it's a direct biofeedback loop. If there's something off hormonally in you, it's loaded, word around the campfire, again, science, word around the campfire is it's loaded with stem cells, amino acids, antibodies. I definitely feel there's HGH and testosterone in there, or at least some kind of magic alchemical reaction. Because one time I left, I was on the beach with the aged urine, got it on my body, and then went when out and work out. Usually I take a shower after, but I went and worked out. The sun had all dried it on me. 
And it really, I've never done anabolic steroids, but I'm assuming it was just, I got a better pump. It was just like, I could lift more than I could ever lift before. And I was like, wow. And I've only had that experience like one or two times. Again, it's kind of a sacred thing. I don't do it every day and it smells. So you don't want to drip it anywhere. And, you know, then you got a big cleanup action. But yeah, I think there's some HGH, human growth hormone elements in there. I definitely think it's part of my longevity program. I don't know if any of my stuff works, except for when I look in the mirror. It seems to have some work. I don't look like the average 55-year-old. No, you definitely do not. So, you know, I'm I'm not here about it's not about my ego. I'm just I'm just trying to stay healthy and moving and figure out the spirituality of my life while I'm here, you know, that's, that's all I'm really doing. I just need to move and mobilize myself. It just so happens that we got the internet so I can film my lifestyle and I get to share it with people, but I don't promote anything that I don't really do myself. I haven't tried and practiced for many years. Yeah, exactly. Lots and lots of people now, it's way more common for women to be eating their placenta you know, and many years ago, I'm sure many people would have totally turned their nose up at that, but it is so common. Almost every single one of my girlfriends has done that now. We did it. Yeah. You guys did it too. You've had two kids. Yeah. Yeah. 2007, we did that. Yeah. And it was foreign back then. Exactly. You were home birthing 15 years ago. I saw that video on YouTube. Like, you were in the water with your partner at the time, home birthing. Did you feel like that was kind of ahead of the game? Because so a lot more common now, a lot more people are home birthing in the water, but you were kind of doing it 15 years ago. Well, you know, there's nothing new under the sun is what I like to say. And because the Maori, they're all astute midwives. They're just natural healers. So they know about life, right, in a different way. And they're trained. A lot of their top healers, men or women, they're all midwives. And people used to fly around the world to see Papa Joe, one Maori healer. He's since died. But they flew around the world and they changed many couples' lives. They were trying to have children for many, many years, spending thousands of dollars on fertility doctors and all sorts of whatever. And the Maori help people conceive children all the time. So people would fly around the world. So I was surrounded by the the world's top hypnobirthers, doulas, midwives. And so when it came down, I just consulted kind of Papa Joe's right-hand woman, Anna Verbethal. And she's like the top of the council of the midwives for the world or something like that. Anna Verval or something. Can't pronounce the, the Dutch name a very good friend of mine. We went over, she educated us. We hired her as a consultant. And then we found our, our local midwife. We used Davy Khalsa, a Sikh woman that's in West Hollywood. She's famous. And it all worked out. Child number two, Davy Khalsa said, baby's not getting enough nutrition. You need to go to the hospital. You need to go to the doctor. Three or four weeks out and baby came early. And she's like, I represent the baby. So baby needs some extra help. I can't help her go to the hospital now. And so, you know, that's good. That's a good midwife, right? People are always afraid. Oh, what if something happens? Well, something happened. 
I'm not anti-hospital. We went to the UCLA Ronald Reagan Center. It was beautiful, state-of-the-art marble. It was, it was an incredible experience. I think my wife could have died. The child could have died, Athena. So there were some miracles that happened there for sure. But let me tell you, they wanted to inject Athena with all sorts of vaccines. They wanted to put all sorts of goop all over her eyes. And I was on them like white on rice. And we had a friend that was a doula that knew about this one drug that they induced. They popped the bag. What is, what is that thing that they... they the sack. Yeah, well, so, something like that. They induce, and this one drug that she was given, and my friend says, well, the CDC says this. And they walked out, and they didn't come back and pressure us with that again. So I had, I had to keep my eye on it. My wife wanted to do it natural, and I'm like, don't do it for me, man. Do whatever you got to do. So she finally took the epidural, and the epidural didn't work. That's what most people don't understand. The epidural didn't work. And I think my wife had so much fear and she was 40 at the time. There was many factors playing. You know, it's very hard on a woman's body too. Here's newsflash to you guys. Have kids when you're young, if you know, or have one when you're later. But you start having more than that. It's really going to, postpartum depression is real. So, and that has a lot to do with the nutrition as well. So our experience in Ronald Reagan Hospital was great, but I had to be the most vigilant, knowledgeable person. They wanted me to sign papers if we've got to sign our life. We need to inject her with this and that. I said, I'm not signing any papers. They're like, well, we'll save her life no matter what, but you could just sign this liability waiver. I don't believe in paperwork in the first place. You got my kid? And you know what? They sent human resources down there. She said, I've been here 10 years. I've never met someone like you. And I'm like, hi, how's it going? And so the greatest thing happened because the mistakes in hospital deaths and doctor deaths, they're astronomically high. They don't report them as much. And so when I walk into the, the ICU, everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows who my baby is. Nobody's making mistakes, giving people wrong medicines. I love that part. Our mission was to latch mama onto baby and get the hell out of Dodge and just get the two together. So it was bittersweet. And all those videos are up online. You can see the juxtaposition of the hospital birth next to the water birth. Both were beautiful and both were necessary. And I'm grateful. I'm not anti-doctor, anti-hospital. I think emergency medicine is perfect in a pinch. But keep, keep your eye on them every step of the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely and make sure you have all of the knowledge. You have both sides so that you can then make the decision that feels truest for you, not what you're bullied into. You need to come back to what feels true for you and your partner and your child and your family and make an informed decision once you have both sides of the party, not just one, both sides. And then that's when you can make the best decision for you. So I'll link to those videos in the show notes so people can go and check them out. I loved them and thank you for putting them up there. They're really, really helpful. I want to talk about ayahuasca and your journey with healing your relationship with your the mother of your child. You guys are now separated and you shared about how this ayahuasca journey healed your relationship. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, you know, Ayahuasca, ayahuasca opened me up. That was 2006. My my wife actually came down there with me in 2008 and had a half cup. 
she didn't really, she wasn't ready for it. She didn't really have an experience. One mosquito bit her and she's like, I'm out of here. I'm like, really? And so I had my son down with me at the time and I'd already been there for a week or two. And when she came down for like a day and left and I was like, eh. and I had a, I had a whole group coming down there. And so she did drink ayahuasca back in the day, but it wasn't until we got divorced about a year into that, that re- she really started doing her deep inner work. And she was brought up Christian, so she had a very she has a very sweet disposition, and she's a very you know polite person. But as we well know, everybody's got their shadow, and you know my shadow brought it up. Maybe I'm dredging her lineage. I don't know, but because she you know she she had a good childhood, she had a good family, she had a good upbringing. She's very successful, but now she's at 50 years old. She's wrestling with her shadow. She started drinking ayahuasca two years ago. She drank it for about a year. Then we did some uh, Bufo Oliverius, 5-MeO-DMT together with a shaman and had our own like reconnection, worked on the book. The book got us together as well. She's got a design background. We started getting closer and closer together. And so, she, you know, I've got media deals. I've got various companies and corporations that I'm working with. And so this one particular deal, I was invited to go down to review the Rhythmia in Costa Rica. It's an ayahuasca center. They do four nights of ayahuasca, two nights of breath work, all the best shamans, all the best spiritual teachings from Michael Beckwith at Agape International Spiritual Center. Real five-star place. And I invited her to go down there. We were going to talk about our relationship because at one point we almost started fooling around. But after I got divorced, I dated a bunch of women and I just realized that second you have sex with them, it's, you got you take on their whole emotional body. And, you know, I had to realize that at 51 or 52 years old, I was divorced and I'm like, wow, 50, party, Tinder, Bumble, what is going on on the internet? And then I, you know, I dated a few women. I'm, I'm older now. I'm clear headed. And then all of a sudden, all this psychological stuff. And I was like, whoa, I just got to have a relationship, man. I was like, all right, time out, pause. Obviously, I want to be with somebody that I love. You know, it was just a weird situation. Plus, I got two kids. I was extremely busy with my business. So I just, I pulled the plug on all dating towards the end. And then my wife and I, we started getting a little frisky one night. And I was like, look, we got divorced. And I'm sure we could have sex that'd be great everybody'd enjoy it but what's that going to entail like what are the responsibilities to that like what do you want you know there's emotional attachments as soon as we go start going down that road so i was like time out i had the kids on vacation i took them up to the the whole rainforest in seattle and i was gone for like two two and a half weeks and it wasn't for another month and a half that we ended up going to this ayahuasca center and we were going to work on our, talking about our relationship but the medicine gets in you and you know it was like we were so close i think we just both kind of threw in the towel and then i asked her to marry me while i was down there and we got remarried on ayahuasca and then we came home and the honeymoon's been over and she's doing a lot more deep work we moved to sedona and she moved out she had to get her own place because the energy here is too intense my business is too exciting right now I've got some of my crew here. She's got shadow work to do. She can't handle my energy for some reason. 
I'm pretty intense in some ways. And so she's got to go deal with herself. She's got to be okay with herself to be okay with me. And that's what she's in the process doing right now. I'm sure she's got a different perspective, but I like to be open and transparent. My wife says, well, don't talk about a relationship all the time. I'm like, I wrote the book and you help me. And everything's in the book, especially the last chapter. I tell people to read the last chapter first because they cry, you know? And so, so, you know, that, that's where we're at as a man. I didn't understand family before because I come from a broken family. Also, I've been on pornography since I've been basically sexual, 12 years old, you know, 13 years old. It's not been a big addiction. It's just been a usage. And a year and a half ago, I decided to go off for my own meditation. And what I'm seeing a year and a half into it is that there is all aspects of simulation. You've got fantasy basically. You're not dealing with reality. And if you're looking at that, then it's also, it's a two-dimensional fantasy. And that might not show up in reality. I mean, the wife smells and maybe doesn't look like a porn star every day, you know, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like not everything's just a cut and dry, you know, perfect porn scene. And that gets into your psyche pretty deeply. And it takes a while to, to, get off of it, but really to see clearly of how I'm treating another person. And there's also some big sexual games that we're unwinding as well. Women have a lot of power. The sexual attraction and magnetism is very powerful. And so when she moved out, I was like, I was actually thinking of going celibate again because I'm focused on my business right now. And I said, oh, you need your own space? Okay, I got that for you. Got your own space. Yeah, don't come around me if I got business in the house and I've got a lot of people here. I get it. You know, take your space. So I gave her everything she asked. And then I said, maybe it's just a good idea because we never looked into our eyes and told each other our commitments. We got married twice and we never did that. And that's what's on the chopping block now. So I don't think we have a real solid commitment and agreement, although we agreed to, you know, get married twice. And so I said, let's just take sex out of it because every time sex gets thrown into it, then expectations get set up and then it just goes up and down and up and down. And it's funny because, you know, women aren't as horny as men. But let me tell you, after a month or so, sometimes it's different for other people, right? And sometimes women are a lot hornier than men. But after a while, everybody wants a little nookie. It's designed into our biology and our physiology and our, and our hormones and our chemicals. And so, so as soon as I played, it wasn't even, I played that card. It was just, it seemed like the most intelligent. Here we are running up against the brick wall. We love each other. We have children together. I pulled her out of my business and, and all these other things that she was intertwined with. And I just said, you are free. You are completely free, and she doesn't have to work her uh, industrial job. She's a fashion. She was a fashion merchandiser for for years and years. Very successful. And, anyways, I'm getting into all of our psychology. It's pretty funny. But that hey, look, this is the human condition, and I'm just a I'm just a guinea pig out here reporting live from planet Earth. You know, I'm I, I'm just I'm just going through my own experience, and I think I think if we're if we're honest and vulnerable, then people can learn from that. You know, the thing is, is I'm sure on Instagram, we look like we've got the perfect family. And the fact of the matter is 
we've got challenges just like you. And instead of playing the victim, and don't get me wrong, my wife and I play the perpetrator victim game perfectly, but I'm going to use that as spiritual fodder for my own growth right now. That's the mirror. That's the lens. That's the sacred mirror. Always looking back at you. You can be Mr. Single all day long and, you know, da, 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 no problems at all. Life is just jolly golly gee. But let's face it, when you're in a relationship, you're going to get triggered. Your emotional stuff is going to come up and right connected to your emotional body is your spiritual body. And there's your work. So that's kind of where I'm at with my spiritual path and awakening right now. Family is my spiritual path right now. Mm. And you're willing to look at it and dive deeper and peel back the onion layers and continue to show up. And that is, that's the work. That's, that's how you evolve and grow. And that's what we're here for. You know, what are we going to do? Crawl underneath a rock? Exactly. And cry? <laughs> and, that, and that came to me. I was uh, 16 years old. This was back when I was dealing sheets of acid back in the 80s. And I was at this Iron Maiden concert back in like the early 80s. I don't know. I had, had an acid trip and, you know, the filters are kind of wide open. I was about 16 and I'd been homeless for a couple of years, either couch surfing friends' houses or I stayed in uh, churches, abandoned houses. And so I realized, because I used to go to Haight-Ashbury, cop a sheet of acid, and then go sell it at a concert and make money. And then, you know, that was my way of making money. So I, I sold the sheet of acid, and I took one, and then I was tripping out. And then I'm like, yeah, what am I going to do? Just crawl underneath a rock? No, I'm going to keep living and living and living and living. And that's what I've been doing. And that's indicative of my sun sign, which is Capricorn, the goat. I am just going to climb that mountaintop. And I'm going to make it, period. I love it. I love it. Let's pretend you have a magic wand now and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your book... That's what I was going to say. I mean... I know, I know. But what is one other book that you would choose to put in the curriculum? I would say my wake-up book, was, which is Way of the Peaceful Warrior. It's a very G-rated, and you think it's a little bit more candy-coated than it is, but I read it. It was one of my awakenings in 1995. After I started sitting Vipassana in 1999, I thought it was old hat. I read it then. It was more profound than the first time I read it. And it was the first time I heard about meditation and everything. And so Way of the Peaceful Warrior, I think that's a good, easy go-to. Yeah, it's incredible. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well as your book. It is such a great book. So if you haven't read it, go and grab that. It's an awesome book. Now, I want to talk about how your day looks today. I love hearing about people's routines, their rituals. I mean, I've seen some of the things that you do in your day. Can you talk us through like a quote-unquote typical day in your life? Well, today I'm living in Sedona, Arizona. I've been waking up pretty close to sunrise almost every day. Most days I'll get in the shower, cold shower, and then get ready. Today I had calls first thing in the morning, and 
that throws me off. I like to go get some kind of movement, especially I like to lift some weights, get the serotonin and dopamine cooking. Or I'll go out and socialize at the local cafe here, which living in a small town is a big deal. <laughs> what made you move out of LA and go to Sedona? Lockdowns and riots in Los Angeles. Yeah, fair enough. Never thought I'd leave. I'm a California beach guy. So, yeah, just, yeah. But yeah, we moved out here. It's a little bit more insular. Everybody loves guns out here. And if you know anything about guns, people that have guns, they respect their safety. And criminals, they can get their hands on guns all day long, and they might not respect the safety and might not have the training. But people with guns and that handle guns and stuff, I'm coming to terms where I, I want to let my mind and find the peace in me so I can open up the vortex where I don't need a weapon. Although if pandemonium gets much worse here, you know, my son can shoot. And I really like that. He can handle a weapon. And if some intruder comes, we live in the country. People, LA, man, there's crime. But here you could still pull off a crime. You could do a home invasion here. So my point is that, let me tell you, when the food runs out, there's only three days worth of food in any city. It's all trucked in, right? So after three days, depending on how much food you have out, then let, let's wait a couple of weeks when people run out of food, and then let's see what happens. So we came to Arizona, at least for the stability in the insular element for my family. Now that they're taken care of, and the children are in school. They, we, we send them to Waldorf School, a private school. It's all for brain development, Steiner School, natural school, nature school. And we were paying for it for the last four months, and they put them on Zoom. And the Waldorf policy is zero media. And next thing you know, my kids were on media. They were on Zoom for six hours. And then they were finding video games. And then, so they went from, you know, almost, Never, and certainly not access at home to full access. And so my wife was like, nonsense. And then the women, and I, it wasn't just my wife, but the women all of a sudden had their children at home. <gasps> oh my God. And the, usually women in the modern world, you got a lot of stuff to do, right? Especially if you're trying to make money. And most people, both families are working right now. Both parts of the family are working. So my wife was overwhelmed. And so we came out here on vacation. I, I've been coming out here for years. Came out here on vacation, real estate looked good and easy, and well, I got 10 times the amount for what I was paying in Los Angeles. Oh, beautiful. So, yeah, to move out here, you know, everything felt good. Plus, it's the spiritual vortex of planet Earth. This is the place where people didn't really inhabit it. This is where place people came for healing, and that makes sense because there's only 10,000 residents here. Originally, I, I heard that the Hopi and the Navajo, they didn't set up camp here. But they came here, all tribes came here for healing. Well, it makes sense. There's about 10,000 inhabitants. There's 12 million visitors a year. So that makes sense. People come here for healing. There's all sorts of spiritual healers here. I mean, again, we moved here, and a month later, my wife ran, ran away or moved out. Or I got to give my wife a lot of credit. She is going so deep, and it's not easy. Waking up as a 50-year-old woman with all that cultural conditioning from the from the Asian and Korean culture, and then being in the America for a long time, surviving as a woman in New York City as a teenager, all the way up working with Donna Karan, Calvin Klein, climbing up, being an immigrant, losing visa status. We got married, and she was able to become a citizen, but 
all, all the navigating of that terrain, carrying the lineage of your family on the back. The Korean's work ethic is super hardcore. And then she put on this smile and this facade, but inside there was things that she wasn't happy and I don't think she was dealing with it. And I think in the last two years, I mean, I'm talking to you about 20 years with the wake up. She's been doing basically all that in the last two. Wow. Wow. Well, good on her. Good on her. That's amazing. So incredible. And I'm glad you guys are there and you're happy and that feels really good for you. Go back to telling us about your daily routines. Like, so you, you rise early and then what happens? Water, water. And then I'm on caffeine right now, so I'll have a mate tea. And then I'll have some amino acids and some herbs, some dried herbs, capsules usually. Hydrate in the morning and then uh, get the kids off to school and either, either do that or hit the trails. Hit the trails or we have what's called Sedona Muscle Beach here. There's a beautiful public grounds where they have a couple canopies with calisthenics bars and pull-up bars. And uh, I just call it Sedona Muscle Beach. But it's a beautiful bicycle off-road track. There's bowls in there for BMX bikes. And then there's a killer skate ramp and softball fields and basketball courts and everything. It's a beautiful place. And it looks at these mountains like it's amazing. And it's a total community center. Sometimes I go up there, do some pull-ups. There's some big, heavy red rocks, and I'll lift those up as well. I miss going to the gyms, but again, the lockdown. And I'd rather work out outside right now. So I'll go do that. I'll hit the trails. I'll go to the local cafe, which is the local watering hole social center. I can do business down there. Just socializing is business for me. I usually come home, make some calls, do a podcast. If I'm out in the trails in the morning or at the gym and I've got one of my assistants with me, we'll shoot content. And then that's it. I pretty much will shoot content of almost anything that I'm doing. I'll come home. I'll do a live, meet with my team, make sure everything else is going. But I set up my life pretty, pretty, pretty well. My businesses are set up where I, I only have to really check in with them. I don't have to manage them that much. And then shot calling new creative ideas. Books out. We haven't fully marketed it because of the lockdown. Books out. Online courses are out. Man clans. We keep picking dates, new retreats, new events. Uh, and that's pretty much my day. And I do that almost every day. And let a lot of it be a surprise. Don't have much of a plan. I'm not much of a schedule guy, except for you're on the schedule. <laughs> we got a schedule in the podcast, you know. But yeah, I just my working philosophy is present moment emergent reality as much as possible and as much as I can stay, you know, in that space. Beautiful. I have a question. Are you still doing your genital sunbathing? Yeah. I don't do as much as it went viral. That video was hilarious. Which one? The one where you take us through the day and then you do the ice bath and then you do the genital bathing and you've got another guy with you and you're literally in happy baby pose, nude. So for anyone who doesn't know what happy baby pose, it's basically with your legs above your head and your entire anus and genitalia is exposed to the sunlight 
you talk about how good this is for your body. It is so good for you. And if anyone has ever done that, you'll feel it. Like you can't not feel so alive when you have sun on that area. It just feels invigorating. So I I love that you did that. Whenever I get a chance, I do nudie baking. I love it. It feels so good. So I was just curious whether that was still part of your daily ritual. You know, it isn't to tell you the truth, but I do have a friend staying. He's been here almost a month and I see him out in the corner over here and he gets it almost every day. Usually I'll take a shower and during the summer, the outside patio used to have the sun on, but because the way the sun comes through, it doesn't shine on it as much. But you're reminding me I should probably get out in the sun or join my friend Barbero on the side of the house down there. But the sun's intense here. You don't need much. But yeah, I mean, I love nudity. I almost started doing naked Qigong on OnlyFans just because I don't care. (laughs) And we got to save this planet. And there's no shame in being a human being. And if somebody wants to pay to look at my nutsack, hey, man, I'll take their money all day long. And I'll teach them sexual kung fu, urine therapy, and who's the other thing? And Qigong. You have a lot of modalities in your toolkit. I love Qigong as well. I love breath work. You do ice baths. You do the genital sunbathing. You also do some incredibly intense, I don't even know what it was called, this slapping that you did behind the back of your legs and in your arms, that slapping. What is that called? That's called pita. And I mean, tapping is probably the lighter form of that. You know, there's emotional, neurological, electromagnetic connections in us, and you can tap, right? And then there's also Qigong and iron shirt and iron bone. You can actually hit like wooden or or steel punching bags. Jackie Chan trains with those wood ones. And that increases, when you hit that, it increases the bone marrow. The, bro- the bone marrow grows. And so... There's another one called Ni Kung, and you can use a brush that's made out of bamboo or wire, and you slap the whole body, and it stimulates it as well. So these stimulation techniques have been around for a while. I've, I've been using the Qigong, the gentle tapping and stuff. Depends. Organs, you want to go light, but sometimes I, I can get aggressive. I like it, you know, especially if my glute's not firing properly. My IT band or my hip flexors, you know, I could get I could get the one side of my palm right in right in the side of my hip as it connects to the piriformis. And so <laughs> one of my wild cowboy healer friends, Dr. Harhari Kalsa, he hangs out with this other cowboy that I know. And they're like, because this one guy had leukemia and he scoured the planet. He's you know, like a health nut like me, owns his own supplement company. It's got high vibrational, super high quality, everything knows, knows like what's going on, knows, knows a lot of stuff. And he finds this thing that is stem cell treatment, which is you hit those portions of the body, which ha- which has all the meridians where all the blood and the circulation flows through here behind the knees and other nerve centers, very similar to the way the Maori treat the body and they stimulate it. For a certain amount of time, and it actually cleans the blood. It bruises the blood. But in that process, it stimulates macrophage phagocytosis. It stimulates cytokines. It stimulates the immune system. Word around the campfires is stem cells. And I had a CrossFit athlete 
friend with tons of injuries. And he, he was like, it healed my knees. And so I was like, all right. And then Sky is a very good journalist. And she's like, I want to shoot, I want to shoot a, a day in the life documentary on you. I was like, okay. I was like, I don't want to do that. It's like the ice bath. I don't want to do that. But if you film it, I'll do it. You know? And so I was like, all right, let's practice surrender today. Okay. And five minutes each side. Oh, Jesus Christ. I was like, <laughs> towards the end, I mean, it, it was great. But you know what? I made the catalyst. I shifted. The pain became neutral. Wow. It looked intense. And there was a moment where you looked right down the camera lens and you're just like, I'm transforming my ego. Or she said something like that. Like, you just went into the darkness. You could see your eyes. You kind of just went in and you just completely, you could see how much pain you were in and then you could see you let it go, which I was just like, whoa, amazing. And I was thinking about one of my best friends just gave birth and I was thinking about her and because she was talking about during labor, during that transition, she literally breathed into the contractions and she was able to release that feeling of pain and have like a pleasurable experience. Yep. Yep. I've heard that before in the birth process as well. So I can only imagine tattoo, face tattoo, birth. That's something similar. That type of re relentless pain, right? So it's not like, oh, that fucking hurts. You know, it's like... <laughs> It uh, fucking hurts and I got to deal with it for, you know, a long period of time. I got to zero it out, basically. And that's the ice bath training. That's the Vipassana meditation training. That's working with the Maoris. The Maoris tell you to breathe. Mm. That's another thing you do is a lot of breath work, which I love. I think breath work is incredible and such a powerful healing modality. Oh my God. It so is. And you got one of my guys, Lucas Mack, that's from down there. And He's working with Jake Paul up here now. and He's got tattoos all over his face. I think he's from New Zealand, but they hang out. They got the Awakening O2 project, and he's down in Australia. Do you know who he is? No, but I'm going to look him up. Awakening O2. Yeah, Lucas Mack, L-U-K-I-S, Mack, M-A-C. And he's working with Jake Paul right now, and he's bringing breathwork into the mainstream. But he's an Australia guy. And and I think the borders are closed down right now. And I was like, somehow they pulled a ninja move. And I'm like, Dude, guys, how did you get in? Isn't everything closed? You can leave. You can leave Australia. It's getting back in. You have to do two weeks hotel quarantine that you have to pay for yourself, which is around 3000 Australian dollars. And... You have to pay for that yourself. And you're in a hotel with sometimes no windows, no fresh air and eating. I wouldn't even call it food. They give you like chips and... No, no, no. I'll be staying abroad. Have a good day. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's wild. And I don't think... They're not letting any foreigners in. Only I think Australian residents. So it's pretty wild. But they're pretty strict on the borders here for the time being. Where are you? I am in Queensland. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Sunny. I've never been there. It's beautiful. When the borders do open, you'll have to come and hang out. Oh, well, I want to come there on tour. Otherwise, I heard you guys' lockdowns are getting pretty intense. So I may come there on commando tour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to free everybody up. I got friends in New Zealand that Bill Gates is down there trying to test his stuff. 
there's natural people down there. They don't like that, man. And, and the people will rise up, man. There's no way we're going to extinguish human civilization or turn into the matrix. We, we are waking up. Can I do three rapid fire questions with you? Yes. All right. What is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Breathe. Optimize your breathing mechanics. That's why I created my online course exactly for that. Optimize, understand what it is. I have a stork walk. It's a Qigong exercise that opens up the whole diaphragm and realigns the biomechanics, your survival mechanisms from your metatarsals up in through your groin and to your core. And then it, it connects to the diaphragm. When you do this for about 100 days, then you're optimally cellular breathing at night when you're asleep. And so check your breathing, get your breathing mechanics, stop being a mouth breather, neck breather. I want to check out your course. I actually tape my mouth every night so I don't breathe through my mouth. My husband probably doesn't think it's the most sexiest thing in the world, but whatever. At least I'm breathing through my nose. (laughs) Totally. And oh my God, the health. There's a lot of research on that. Oh yeah. All right. Next one. What is one of the most important things that we can do today for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Well, I mean, health is wealth. So become the healthiest specimen you can. Invest all your money on your health and become that powerful force that you want to see in the world. You'll be wealthy forever. Take care of number one. You know, that's not selfish to tune up and love yourself. Exactly. And finally, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? Feed yourself organic, nutritious food, the highest quality organic, nutritious food that you can, because as we transition to regenerative agriculture and we remediate the soils here and we put on new systems, in the meantime, we want to manage and mitigate the amount of poison that we've put on here for the cleanup. And you're going to feel a lot better and you're going to feel, you're going to love yourself. You're going to love the earth. You're going to love your family. It is an expression of love to give the body what it requires as opposed to flip that yin-yang coin over, poison your body. And that's the truth. Yep, absolutely. You help so many people. You have given so much today, your books, your programs, your retreats, everything. You serve so many people. How can I and the listeners give back to you today? You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, social media everywhere. I think we have an opt-in for my TroyCasey.com has an opt-in and we have free gifts for people there. And I'm always updating and doing events and tours. And so you can know when I'm on tour or when I'm doing another event, you can get on my newsletter. That's probably one of the best ways, TroyCasey.com. Awesome. We'll link to everything in the show notes. Troy Casey, this has been so fun and so great to connect with you. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and for being the certified health nut and sharing all your wisdom with us. It's been awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you. Isn't he awesome? I just want to go to his house one day and hang out with him and do all of these amazing healing things together. It'd be so fun. If I ever do do it, I will film it and take you guys along for the journey. That's for sure. 
I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And speaking of the review of the week, I want to read this week's review of the week. And it is a five-star review from Cat Reb, and it is titled, Changing the World One Episode at a Time. And they say, I first stumbled across Melissa's book, Mastering Your Mingle, about four years ago. And since then, I have been hooked. Everything she touches turns to love. And this podcast is no exception. Spilling with passion, insights, and inspirational takeaways, listening to this podcast is always one of my highlights of my week. Thank you for helping me grow each week, Melissa. I'm so grateful for everything you are doing for the world. Thank you so much for that beautiful review. I'm so grateful. And as a little thank you, I want to gift you one of my top four favorite products. And this week, it is the Hydrogen Health Water Bottle and Shower Filter, which is pretty awesome. All you have to do is send me an email to hello at melissaambrosini.com with your address and we'll send that over to you. Pretty cool, huh? And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you get out of each show. So please come and share them with me. And for everything that Troy and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 375. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, Don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.